All right, turn in your Bibles to James chapter number 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12 this morning. For those of you who are new with us, we've been in now the fourth week in this series that we have entitled Full Length Mirror. We're walking verse by verse through the book of James. And the reason why we've called this series Full Length Mirror is... Let's think about, many of you have a mirror, maybe something like this in your home, a full-length mirror, and let's think about the purpose of a mirror. It's really threefold. We've been saying this every week. Number one, it shows you who you are, right? It shows you how you are, the condition of how you are in the moment, and then it also shows you what you need to change, And just like that's the purpose of a physical mirror, when we think of God's word, James describes God's word in chapter 1 as a mirror as well. And just like the physical mirror has those three purposes, really so God's word has those three purposes. That God's word shows me who I am. God's word shows me how I am, shows me where I'm growing, shows me where I maybe have strayed away from the Lord. It shows me how I am. And that it also shows me what needs to change. And so we all know, we've all experienced this in life, that when we look in a mirror and we see how we are specifically, we may see, you know what, man, I need to lose some weight, or I need to address this, or I need to address that. And so we have great intentions, right, that when we see those things, we're like, man, I know I need to change in this area, whatever it may be, that we have great intentions to do that, but Many of us in the room, not tremendous follow-through, right? So great intentions, great desires, great goals, but the follow-through is lacking. And that's, often so, that's so often true in our Christian walks, right? Like we have great intentions. We look into the mirror of God's word and we're like, man, this is how I am. This is, therefore, based on what I see God's word saying to me, man, I see that I need to change this as I look in the mirror of God's word. But oftentimes in our walk with the Lord, we can start out with great intentions and just not follow through. And so really the aim of this series is, man, how do we move from good intentions to transformation? in our walk with the Lord as we look into the mirror of God's word. And so every week we've been looking at things that are extremely practical and essential to our walk with the Lord and who we are and how we are and what does need to change as we look in the mirror of God's word. And so this morning is no different. And I invite you, if you haven't gone there already, should be there by now, but in James 3, verses 1 through 12. Now, let's think about where we've been. So in the first three chapters, and we're going to look at chapter three, as I said this morning, Paul, or James, I'm sorry, already lays out characteristics of a mature Christian in the first three chapters. Think about it. In chapter one, James says, man, someone who's walking and growing in their walk with the Lord is persevering in trials and temptations in their life. Like that's someone who is growing in their walk with the Lord. That's someone who's a mature Christian. And then in chapter 2, he gives another characteristic of a mature Christian. He says, someone who's a mature Christian who's growing in their walk with the Lord, who's looking into the mirror of God's word and is making the changes that God's word reveals, he's also something that not just has the talk of what he wants to do, but he actually has the follow-through. He's practicing He's walking in such a way that matches what he is talking. And then now we come to chapter 3 and James is going to give us really a third characteristic of someone who is growing and maturing in their faith because he's going to say this person has power over their tongue. 
And for whatever reason, I don't know if you've caught this or not as we've walked through the first three chapters, but evidently James, as he's writing to this group of Jewish Christians that are scattered all over the known world, they must have a serious problem with their tongue. Because he's addressed something about it in every chapter. Let me just remind you of this. In chapter 1, verse 19, what does he say? Be swift to hear, slow to speak. Then he comes to the end of chapter 1 in verse 26 and says, Every believer who doesn't bridle his tongue is not walking with the Lord. And then we come to chapter 2, verse 12, and he says, hey, you need to speak and act as someone who knows that you're going to give an account one day for what you say. So he's already addressed this three times, and now he's going to spend 12 verses in chapter 3 where we're going to look at today addressing the tongue. So you you know what that tells me? James was dealing with a big problem. So if you're taking notes, here's the title of the message this morning. The potential of the tongue. The potential of the tongue. Another way that we could title it is the potential of your words. Now, I was curious. You know, I've heard a lot of different things. I mean, just by practice, like we say, you know, we've drawn this conclusion, right, that women talk more than men. And I was like really curious. I was like, is that really true? And so, you know what I did? I went to a source that's very reliable. You know what it is? I Googled it. And so I Googled, how many words does a guy use in a day? And I didn't see the exact same number on different websites that I looked at, but here's what it gave. It gave a range from 3,000 words to 7,000 words are the amount of words that a dude uses in a day. And then I said, well, how many words does a woman use in a day? And there was more consistency there. That was probably written by some guys, but there was more consistency there. It said women use 20,000 words a day. Now, here's the deal. It's not to make fun of how many words a woman uses versus how many words a man uses. It's just to get across the idea that we use a lot of words every day. But our words have potential, and we need to understand that. See, here's the idea that I want you to get today before we jump into the passage of Scripture here in James 3, 1 through 12, and you're going to see this as an overarching idea that fleshes itself out in this text. It's this idea that the tongue has the potential to provide powerful influence or personal injury in the lives of others. Your tongue, my tongue, has potential to provide powerful influence for good or personal injury for evil in the life of others, and we need to embrace that as a reality. See, I think our speech is one of the most powerful things that God has given us. It's one of the most powerful things. Think about it. With what comes out of your mouth, you have the opportunity to praise God. You have the opportunity to give him praise. You just had that opportunity just a minute ago. You have the opportunity to call out to God every day and to beseech him and to ask him to work in your life in every area of your life. You have that ability. You have the ability to encourage someone else through scripture that you've memorized and to be a representative of the the gospel that you believe. You have the opportunity to share that with someone that doesn't know it. Your speech has tremendous potential to have a powerful influence in the lives of others. But that same speech, that same powerful thing that God has entrusted to us also has the potential to provide 
personal injury and harm to others, to tear someone down, to lie, to gossip, whatever it is. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, we need to understand that idea that my tongue has the potential for powerful influence or personal injury in the lives of others. And what I want to do this morning is just give you three things that I think we need to understand about the words that we speak as we walk through these 12 verses. So would you look at with me in verses 1 through 5? Let's start there. James says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now if you're like me, the first time you read that, you're like, what in the world does that have to do with the tongue? Well, evidently, you had a lot of people that James was dealing with. Everybody wanted to teach. I want to teach. You want to teach. Let's let this person teach. Let's let that person teach. But the problem is, is there was obviously a problem with the tongue and what they were communicating. So James is like, listen, not all of you should be teachers. And you need to understand that those who actually do teach God's words are going to give a greater account for what they say. That's James's point. Now look at verse 2. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. You know what that tells me? Nobody's perfect in this. Every one of us need to listen up to God's word today. He says, and if someone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man who is able to bridle his whole body. Verse 3, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Really what James is saying there is the tongue is a small member but has tremendous potential. See, here's the first thing that you need to understand about the words that you speak. And I just, it comes out of these five verses that I just read. Number one, our words can be used to steer the lives of others. Your words, my words, can be used to steer the lives of others. And James gives two illustrations. I mean, James is, is very illustrative in this passage of scripture and the first two illustrations he uses and you saw them there he uses this idea of a bit in a horse's mouth now just so you know i'm not an expert in riding a horse i've ridden a horse one time in my entire life don't really desire to get on another one but i remember when i got on that horse this was in college and you get on this horse and it's a very intimidating thing if you've never been on it before and the horse is was was a big horse and i got on that horse and you're holding that those reins but what i found such amazing so amazing is you have this horse that's just rippling with its muscles but this little metal bar that sits inside of the horse's mouth allows someone like me that's so small in comparison to the size of the horse to control where that horse goes and Paul uses that illustration of a bit in a horse's mouth to get across the idea that our words have the power to steer the lives of others in a good way or in an evil way but then he also uses this illustration of a ship you saw that in this in these first five verses his point being is you have this massive ship. Think about those of you who have been on a cruise liner and the massive 
ships that those are and that you have that rudder that in comparison to the size of the ship is so small but yet that that rudder has the power to direct that ship in the way that it should go and what James is saying with the illustration of the ship is just like that rudder directs the ship in the way that it should go our words have tremendous power to direct the course of a person's life See, our words can be used to steer the lives of others. Proverbs 18, 21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. So James's point in these first five words is your words can actually, and sometimes we don't think of it this way, but my words can actually steer the, steer the deeds of another. Remember that phrase that you were, I think all of us are familiar with this phrase. I heard it when I was little growing up. Remember, sticks and stones will break my bones, finish it out loud with me, but words will never hurt me. Now we know that, how many of you would say, raise your hand and say, man, that's an amazing truth that I want to pass on to my children, that reality. Raise your hand. I don't see anybody. Amazing, no one's raising their hand. It actually came, I was like, where in the world did that come from? And it actually came from this um, thing called the Christian Recorder. I mean, it was like one of these things that tried to pass on truths. And though the attempt was great to get across the idea, don't let words define you. The reality is, is words can break your bones much more than sticks and stones. We know that, right? You know, during World War II, you know, you had all these amazing graphic posters. You know, sometimes when you go into a World War II museum, you see all these amazing uh, posters that, that they had from back then that gave across certain messages and they're bright in color and they're illustrated so well. Well, there was a poster in World War II that gave across the idea to make sure that what you, that you did not communicate what you knew as a secret during World War II because if you didn't watch what came out of your mouth, it could affect the lives and put the lives of others in harm's way. And it was this poster, and this is where where this phrase comes from loose lips sink ships how many of you've heard of that that's where that phrase came from and it was to get across the idea that listen some of you know certain things and so to communicate those things flippantly without considering the cost it could put others lives in harm i say that just to get across the idea of what james communicates in verses one through five that our words can steer the lives of others in a positive or negative direction. Let me give another personal illustration. So some of you, some, many of you know this, if you call this place your home, some of you do not. I am one of six boys. And so all, you need, all I need to tell you about my mother this morning is that she mothered six boys, and you already know how an amazing woman she was. But with six boys, me being the oldest, and... Us being spread out, so I'm 41, my youngest brother is 23. There was a lot of hazing that went on in the Pereira house. Led by me, I must confess. And, you know, we would do what brothers do. There's something, I swear, that's like wired in the oldest brain that it's like you just take on the responsibility to give your younger siblings a hard time. 
It's part of our sin nature, but nonetheless, it's the oldest, for some reason, are wired with it different than anyone else. And so here's what would happen in my house. I would give insults. I would put put downs. I would razz Adam, who is the second brother. And then Adam would then, it was a domino. Adam would then do that to Jimmy, who's the third. And Jimmy would do that to Ben, who's the fourth. And Ben would do that to Jesse, who's the fifth. And Jesse would do that to Michael, who's the sixth. And it would just carry on down. And I never thought anything of it. I thought, man, this is what brothers do. Like, we tease each other, we tear them down, we make insults, like all of that stuff that our parents constantly told us not to do, but we did. And here's the unfortunate thing. I had no idea how that was affecting one of my brothers. Until about 15 years ago, I found out that it affected him tremendously. In fact, he was having to just flesh that out with a counselor and I found that out and I had to I mean it just crushed me what I thought was innocent what I thought wasn't a big deal what I thought is just what you do and being flippant with your words in the house I had to apologize and ask for his, for his forgiveness and and carry the grief that my my words actually played a role in steering just how he saw himself in a negative way and I share that so we take seriously the words that we use. And I say that so that we also understand it just doesn't stop in saying, I need to be careful with my tongue. It comes with a realization to understand that in and of my own strength, I can't control my tongue. I can't do it in my own strength. And Psalm 141.3 says this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my life. What the psalmist is saying there is, I understand, God, that I can't control my tongue in and of my own strength. I need your strength in my life. I need to surrender not just my life, but part of surrendering my life every day and consecrating myself to you and submitting my life and my actions and my words to you is also submitting this little thing behind my teeth called my tongue. Because the reality is, is I can't say that, that the Lord is the Lord of my life without him also being the Lord of my lips. It's not one without the other. And I think a great indicator of where I am in my spiritual walk with the Lord is how I am using my words in the lives of others. Here's the second thing we need to understand about the words that we speak. Our words can be used to scar the lives of others. I say that, look at verses, second part of verse 5 through verse 8. Would you look at it with me? James says this, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit through James is using this language. He wants to wake us up to the potential of the tongue for good and for evil. Verse 7, he says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Like, you need to underline that. You need to highlight that. You need to star that in your Bible. No human being, and last time I checked, every one of us are that person. We are a human being. 
No one can control the tongue. God's words, not mine. He says it's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. James describes the tongue as a fire. You know what fire does? It burns. Like you didn't need to come to church today to know that. But it burns. It hurts. It ruins. And it scars. That's what fire does. And our words, if we're not careful, can do the same thing. They can burn. They can ruin. They can scar. And they can hurt. And the reality is what James is pouring out is the more fuel you give to that fire, the faster that it spreads. And I've all, I, I've, this isn't new with me, but I've adopted it as my own phrase. There's two types of people. There's people that bring water to a fire or there's people that bring gasoline to a fire. And you're one of those two people. You're either someone that's like, no, 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 uh, uh, I'm going I'm to speak words of life and, and, and look to solve this issue. And there's other of us that, man, we're carrying our tank of gasoline and everywhere we see one, ooh, we want to be in on that and we want to pour a little bit more fire on that. And what we need to understand is that our words can be used to scar the lives of others. I thought it was interesting. I was looking at different historic fires in our history's country, or in our country's history, I should say, and I came across the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. And I was curious. I mean, I've heard of this fire. I've been to Chicago many times and know that there's very few structures that are left from that fire in 1871, I was like, well, what in the world started that fire? And I found this interesting. It says, the great Chicago fire began on the night of October 8th in, our, in, around, in or around a barn location on the property of Patrick and Catherine O'Leary. So nobody knows exactly how it started, but here's the legend, if you want to call it that. The legend holds that the blaze started when the family's cow knocked over a lighted lantern. How crazy is that? A clumsy cow started the Chicago fire, if it's true. Listen to the destruction. The fire burned widely throughout the following day, finally coming under the control on October 10th. So two days of just the fire blazing. When the rain gave a needed boost to firefighting efforts, the great Chicago fire left an estimated 300 people dead, 100,000 others homeless, more than 17,000 structures were destroyed, and damages were estimated at $200 million. That's in 1871. The power of the tongue. The potential of the tongue. James describes it as a fire. Proverbs 26, 20, and 21 says this, For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there's no whisperer, Quarreling ceases. In other words, when there's no gossip, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Listen, it's so important. I cannot stress this enough how vital as we look at this passage of Scripture it is for every one of us to understand, to remember, to realize that my tongue has the potential to provide powerful influence for good or personal injury for evil in the lives of others. But I think it's interesting that James just doesn't describe this tongue as a fire. He also describes it as a 
animal. And what he's saying in here is animals can be tamed. Like we've all gone to a zoo or we've gone to a theme park and we've seen animals tamed or a show. But the reality is even though the animal's tamed, there's still the potential for something to go wrong. So I remember when I was in college, when I would come home for the summers, I grew up in Orlando, when I would come home for the summers, I would work at SeaWorld. And my job at SeaWorld is, is I was a landscaper. They liked to make us feel important. They called us horticulture department. But what we did is we trimmed bushes and we planted plants and we mowed lawns and we trimmed palm trees. And when, and every summer that I would go, there was a certain part of the park that we were responsible for and they would divvy it up into sections. And I remember one summer we were responsible, if you've ever been there at SeaWorld in Orlando, there's a part of the park that's called Key West. And at Key West you have this massive feeding pool with the dolphins. And I remember we would get to work at 6 a.m. We'd get into the park at 6 a.m. I remember it was so awesome because they would have basketballs and soccer balls and dodgeballs and different types of sporting balls there in the water, and the dolphins would play with them. But the dolphins were so smart, they would pop up their heads to see when we were coming into the area because what they wanted to do is they wanted to play with us. And so we would get there at the edge when we were supposed to be working, but we would get there at the edge, and the dolphins would come, and they would bring those balls to us, but they would hold them tightly in their mouth, and they'd act like they wanted us to take them, but they wouldn't let go of them. They were teasing us, and then what they would do when they saw that we couldn't get them out, they would just go underwater a bit and pop the ball up, and we'd take the ball, and we'd throw it back, and had that awesome interaction with those animals that came, that were born in captivity. I mean, they were essentially tamed. And then I remember the next summer that I worked in a different section of the park. Part of the section of the park that I worked with our crew was we were responsible for maintaining the grounds of Shamu Stadium. And so I worked at SeaWorld from 1996 to 1999. And that one summer particularly in Shamu Stadium, we were there at 6 a.m. We were, we were trimming hedges that lead up the ramp to the stadium if you've ever been there. But something really bad happened that day. Because all of a sudden we were there working and all of a sudden all these cop cars start flying in into Shamu Stadium. And what we came to find out as they asked us to help is there was a body lying over one of the killer whales in one of the tanks. See, that guy had a great idea that since he saw the trainers jumping up and on the noses of these killer whales, that that'd be a great idea for him to hide in the park and do that after the park closed. The problem was, is he jumped into the tank with the one killer whale that comes up at the very end and splashes everybody in the second row who came from the wild, who was somewhat tame. He chose to jump into that one, and obviously it led to his death. And every time I read this passage of scripture in James 3 where it talks about the taming of an animal but no one can tame the tongue, I think of that. Because you have two different instances. You have these dolphins that were tamed and had an amazing experience and then you had this killer whale that was supposedly somewhat tame but inside of him there was still a wildness and it led to destruction. And James's point today is that we need to understand the potential of the tongue and that, yes, it can steer the lives of others in a positive direction. It can also steer the lives of others in a negative direction. And how our words can also scar the lives of others. But here's the third thing, and it's found in verses 9 through 12. But we need to understand about the words that we use. Number three, our words can be used to strengthen the lives of others. Strengthen the lives of others. 
Look at what it says in verses 9 through 12. James says this, With it, the tongue, our words, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Here's what James is saying. It ought not to be this dichotomy. You ought not to come in church and to praise God with your voices and to open up God's word and say amen and act like you agree with him and then walk out of those doors and literally spew venom Monday through Saturday. He says it ought not be. Verse 10, he says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Water is life-giving. You need water, I need water to survive. I can survive a whole lot longer without food than I can with water. We know that is a reality of our life. Water is life-giving. It's the source of life. But when water doesn't flow properly, it actually hinders life. It brings decay. It brings death. It brings destruction. Proverbs 10, 11 says this, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. But the mouth of the wicked conceals or causes violence. Listen to me, this morning, I want you to understand that you have an opportunity for your words to be life and strength to someone else. Your words have an opportunity to bring life and strength to your spouse. Your words have the power to influence for good, life, and strength to your kids, to your friendships, to this church, to people that don't even know Jesus yet. Your words have the potential to bring life and strength. And James uses this illustration of a spring, that our words need to be a spring of life, just like a spring in a desert. That it's someone who's longing, they've been in a desert for so long, and what they need more than anything is they need that water, and then they come to a spring, and they're like, finally, I have something to give me energy, to, to give me strength, to give me life. And I wonder how many of us, if we even think about the words that we've said last week to one another, whoever it is, those that we love, those that we work with, those that we interact with, that God sovereignly allows us to rub shoulders with, I wonder if we think to ourselves, man, is that a picture of my words even in this last week? Or is this the picture of my words? Are my words a cesspool? Because the water's not flowing properly and it's stagnant and it's stale and it's filled with poison. It's actually bringing death and decay to the people that are around me and even to the people that I say I love the most. Which is it? Because James in this passage of scripture is making clear, listen, our words can be used and ought to be used to strengthen the lives of others. So how do we do that? How do we make sure that our lives bring strength and 
don't scar and steer others in a positive direction rather than a negative and evil direction. I think it's three things. Number one, we got to consecrate, or I'm sorry, we got to check our hearts daily. We got to check our hearts daily. Because Matthew 13, 24 says, for out of the heart the mouth speaks. So you want to know the condition of your heart. Just evaluate what you've been talking about for the last week. What words you've been using. That shows you the condition of your heart right now. And we got to check our hearts daily. We need to be in God's word daily. We need to be looking in the mirror daily and saying, God, how am I right now? And based on how I am and what your word says and looking at my life in comparison to the mirror of your word, God, what needs to change? I need to be in God's word daily. I need to be praying daily, which leads to the second thing. I need to surrender this little thing behind my teeth daily. And if that means that some of us need to literally hold our tongue while we pray to remind ourselves that we're surrendering that thing daily, then let's do it. And then here's the third thing. Man, you know what we need to do? We need to evaluate our conversations daily. And we need to say, man, how was my speech today? Where did I bring life? Or where did I cause hurt? We need to evaluate our conversations daily because so often we just don't even think about it. We're so flippant with our words. And just like I was so flippant with, oh, man, that's just what brothers do. I had no idea the effect that it had on one of my brothers. As we close this morning, I want to give you 12 words that need to be in every one of our vocabularies so that our words can actually strengthen the lives of others rather than scar the lives of others, so our words can steer others in a positive direction rather than in a negative and hurtful one. Here's the first two words, thank you. Sounds simple, right? Listen, you a junior hire or a senior hire in here? When's the last time you said to your mom or to your dad or whoever is your authority in the home, thank you? When's the last time you're in our youth ministry and you said to your small group leader, thank you? Guys, when's the last time you said to your girlfriend or girls to your boyfriend, thank you? If you're married, when's the last time you said to your spouse, Thank you for doing that. Kids, when's the last time you said to your parents, thank you for what you provide for us every day? It's the first two words that ought to be in every person's vocabulary. Here's the second, here's the other three words. Here's another three words I should say. I love you. Do you know how many people are starving for that today? To just hear those three words. I love you. And I would venture to guess that if it's been a long time since you've said that to the person that you love, your relationship's not in a great place. Guys, when's the last time you said, I love, to that guy that's been there for you, that friend that's been there for you? You're like, man, that, I'm macho, man, that ain't for me. No, 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 you're weak. You're weak. Here's another three words. I am sorry. I had a mentor of mine who told me, if you can't remember the last time that you said I'm sorry, and it's been a long time since you've said it to your spouse, your marriage probably isn't in a great place. 
Because what did James say? No one can tame the tongue. So I promise you, if you haven't said it recently, someone needs to hear those words. And let's not allow our pride and let's not allow our, our, our mentality that I'm never wrong to keep us from embracing the reality that those three words are words that need to be in our vocabulary every day. I'm sorry. Here's the last words that make up those 12 words. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe that God's not done with you yet. I believe in you. I believe that God's not, not done with that marriage yet. I believe in you. I believe that, that God can actually accomplish that through you. I believe in you. I believe that you can overcome that addiction with God's strength. I believe in you that you have what it takes to take that risk and take that job and move your family to a place that God is leading you. I believe in you. Those are powerful words. Those are words that are a spring of life, not a cesspool of death. And so what I want to do in these moments is, before we sing this next song, is listen to me. I've, as I've looked at this passage of scripture, I've had to ask myself, God, where have my words brought hurt rather than health? And I think we need to do that in this place. So every head bowed, every eye closed. Listen, let's just do business with God right now. Let's evaluate our hearts and our lives and say, God, let me look at my words. Let me understand that they have the power to steer the lives of others in a positive or negative direction. They have the, the power and the potential to scar the lives of others. But God, what I want is I want my words to strengthen the lives of others. And I confess the words that I've used as sin, if that's what you need to do. And the three words that you need to say to God right now is, I am sorry. God, we stand, we sit humbly before you. God, I thank you that you use words and speak over us. Words of love, words of peace, words of strength, words of hope, words to bring us back in line with you from your word. And God, may our tongues, God, may we understand the potential of our tongues, the potential of our words. May those words be in our vocabulary, Lord, those words of thank you, those words of I love you, those words of I'm sorry, those words I believe in you. And Lord, we can mention many other words. But God, may we always be, as your word says, speaking the truth in love. As Colossians says, may our words be seasoned with salt. May they preserve, may they give life. We surrender that little member behind our teeth that is so small yet has so much power to you. May you be the Lord of our lives and also the Lord of our lips. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus, our only hope, our only strength to do what you've told us to do. Amen.